Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Well, spoiler alert, the answer could very well be no. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is always at houstonchronicle.com, and down in San Antonio, you can check it out at expressnews.com, and this weekend, you'll be able to check out Jeremy in Edinburgh, Texas. Now, why would you be going there, Jeremy? You were just on the border, and you're going back. Yeah, I just can't get enough of it. I like to see the Rio Grande in as many different lights as possible, <laughs> different locations as possible. I'm going for Donald Trump and Governor Greg yeah. Abbott, who are both hanging out together on the border, because where else would you expect Greg Abbott and Donald Trump to hang out? Uh, it's a regular haunt of theirs. If you remember during mm-hmm. the presidential years that Trump was in there, uh, he had several events down along the Texas border and Greg Abbott by his side. So voila, you know, they'll be together on Sunday for some campaigning and uh, talking about the border, I would bet. Yeah, I I saw that the announcement from the governor's office was then used in a campaign email from Trump to say that they're going to meet up uh, down there uh, in uh, the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, Trump just recently told a gathering of evangelical conservatives at this, uh, it was this big gathering called the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. In Washington, a little while back, he said he's going to have an even harder line on immigration uh, than he did before if he is elected next year. Upon my inauguration, I will terminate every open border policy of the Biden administration and commence the largest deportation operation in American history. We have no choice. This is not sustainable. You don't have to know very much to know. Right. You don't have to know very much to agree with that. Now, he and Abbott, of course, are taking this hard line. Abbott and the state of Texas under Republican leadership is sort of leading the way on this uh, more aggressive stance on the border. We told you last week, and it does, again, feel like Groundhog Day around here, Jeremy, when we have uh, the state once again considering this crackdown on immigration that would now include state-level police, peace officers all over Texas, uh, of any type, by the way, any officer, being able to deport somebody for suspicion of being illegally in the country uh, or for this new crime of illegal entry into Texas from a foreign nation. How, how many countries would be on the list of illegal entry from a foreign country if we're, t- if we're talking about people actually crossing the border? Well, that would only be one, right? And you saw that Mexico just this week said that they reject the idea of what Texas is trying to do. I would like to take you back to something that we talked about last week because it sets the stage for what then happened this week. Remember that Senator Brian Birdwell, who is no liberal, this is somebody who supported banning abortion and people being able to carry guns without, you know, handguns without a license. He said that what's being done here is unconstitutional. He laid it out on the Senate floor as he was voting No. For the short-term messaging you gain between our two chambers during this election season, we are setting a terrible precedent for the future by invalidating our obedience and faithfulness to our Constitution. President Biden's failure to obey his oath does not compel us to violate ours. Instead, it compels our federal representatives to constrain him and for the electorate to remove him in the coming year. What he's saying here is pretty important, Jeremy. He's not saying that he doesn't want to crack down on immigration. Of course, you know that he does want to do that. And as we pointed out on the last show, 
He has been Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's point man on border security and immigration for about a decade at this point. Uh, He was looked to by Patrick during the uh, 2014 campaign when Patrick was securing the lieutenant governor's office uh, when he was winning that year. Uh, And he's always looked to Birdwell as a guy to, you know, run point on this policy. Uh, But what Birdwell is saying is just because we might be in a situation that we don't like uh, and, you know, someone like Birdwell or Patrick or Abbott or Trump, they all argue that we're in sort of a crisis situation with the border. Now, I think there are some Democrats who agree with that, and they look at, you know, the record number of crossings that have happened and everything, and uh, people do agree that something needs to be done, but they don't agree with this crackdown that Texas is passing. Uh, But Birdwell is saying it is really important, and in fact, to the point where he, he can't even vote for this bill, it's really important to honor the process. If you don't agree with what's happening on the border, what Birdwell is saying is that the American people need to vote for a different president. He, he, he's, he's not saying we need to you know, short circuit everything and just act as if the state of Texas on its own can have its own immigration policy. That would be uh, something that is widely understood to be unconstitutional. Um, but in the meantime, you have Republicans going in the other direction. Yeah, and, and, and this feels like uh, this is legislation aimed at three people. And those three people are Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, and Neil Gorsuch. Those are the three Supreme Court justices who have been added by President, former President Donald Trump to the Supreme Court since the 2012 ruling uh, against Arizona, in which the Supreme Court said, just because you don't like the way the federal government is in uh, is enforcing the border doesn't mean you can pass your own laws to start trying to deport people and, and, and dealing with immigration. They ruled that you couldn't do that, but that court has completely changed. You know that you know remember that in 2012 would have been in the heart of the Obama era. You know Ruth Bader mm-hmm. Ginsburg was on that court. Uh, that is not the case anymore, and so it feels like. What Birdwell was kind of, you know, getting at is that, like, you can tell he senses that they want the court to, you know, uh, to reevaluate this whole decision, basically do Mm -hmm. a Roe v. Wade rewrite like they did last year, uh, but this time on immigration, on, you know, the Arizona law. And so I think that kind of is baked into this whole debate. It feels like it's been hanging over this whole thing where it's just like, they know it's unconstitutional, but they're taking a shot that maybe it will unconstitutionalize itself in the hands of the right justices. Yeah. Now, Representative David Spiller is the guy in the Texas House who is carrying this legislation. And listen to the argument he made here, Jeremy. He talked to uh, Karina Kling on Spectrum News. He was asked about what Birdwell had said. Listen to the whole answer and listen to what he says right at the very end where he kind of goes, but, you know, we'll see. Quite frankly, I respectfully disagree with his position that this is unconstitutional or that it's improper. I certainly wouldn't ask anyone to violate their oath of office. And I think some of that was what he spoke to. But uh, I believe it's completely constitutional for the reasons I've stated and and respectfully disagree. And I I think that uh, as this goes through, I think uh, it'll play out and we'll uh, we'll see. So he's admitting there at the end that he doesn't really know. We'll we'll find out together. Uh, This will be challenged in court. Now, Mexican-American Legislative Caucus Chairwoman Victoria Neave Criado said on the House floor that Republicans could at least admit that this is about what you talked about, Jeremy, that it is about a constitutional challenge to what has been seen as settled law on immigration. 
We all know why we're here. SB4 intends to challenge the decade-long holding of Arizona versus the United States, given the new makeup of the United States Supreme Court, a Supreme Court which we have seen has already overturned 50-year-long precedent of Roe versus Wade. This legislation, Senate Bill 4, expects to challenge precedent to be successful in the same way, but it is only through a misinterpretation of this constitution that this legislation aims to succeed. Here is some nuance uh, that I think is um, in the mix uh, on this. I remember when the legislature was about to pass the complete ban on abortion, that Republicans were saying privately, and none of them were making statements like this in public, but privately, some Republicans were saying that they knew, that, that they had it in their minds, that they knew that the courts would not actually allow that ban on abortion to go into effect. They were saying, we, look, we have to uh, vote for this because this is what the Republican primary voter wants us to do. But there's sort of a backstop here. We know the courts won't actually let us do this, which in a lot of ways I thought was one of the most cowardly positions they could have. So we're going to take this position fully knowing that the law can't take effect. But they might not have been paying attention to what you and the chairwoman were pointing out, Jeremy, which is this is a different court that, you know, t 10 years ago, 15 years ago, for the last 50 years when it comes to abortion, the way the court was constituted was different from what it is now. Were those people just not paying attention to the fact that in the to that Trump put those people on the court that you're talking about, and maybe just as importantly, who they were replacing, and the fact that and you didn't mention this, but we we should bring it up, the fact that the Republicans essentially, and I won't go as far as some other people and say that they stole a seat on the court, but they certainly did it in a different way from what had been done before uh, when President Obama tried to nominate Merrick Garland for the court. And at the time, the Republican leadership in Washington, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, just said, well, we're not even going to talk to the guy. We're not even going to have a hearing. They said, oh, this is an election year, and so we'll let the people decide which president ought to pick the next person on the court. That is not the way it was ever done before. As you have pointed out many times on the show, Jeremy, there were a lot of Republicans who voted for Donald Trump who were uncomfortable with a lot of the things that he would say and do on the campaign trail, but they held their noses. And they voted a certain way to remake that court because they knew that the kind of justices that he would appoint would be very different from what, uh, you know, Secretary Clinton would do. Or in this case, you know, under this administration, if Joe Biden had the opportunity to nominate somebody uh, that Trump and Biden or Trump and Clinton, that, that those justices would not be the same at all. And this really tells you when it, whether it's uh, abortion or immigration, the court is about as politicized as it has ever been. It might as well be its own little mini, you know, uh, legislative branch <laughs> because, because of the, well, you know how they're going to vote 99% of the time that the more liberal justices will vote one way and the more conservative justices will vote a different way. And when we hear all these stories about packing the court to Republicans saying that liberals want to pack the court because there has been, um, you know, legislation proposed to try to change the number of justices. The Republicans packed the court by denying a Democratic president the chance to put somebody on the court and then just putting their own people on there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think that's the thing that makes you know the Republican machine uh, will get back to fighting for the court whether they like the candidate or not. Right? You know, the Democrats just don't have that same thing. They used to have that. You know, there was a point where, like, when the uh, the pro-choice movement was at its strongest, I thought they would rally people to vote for that issue. Like, you know, it's like you know your your reproductive rights are 
on the line if you don't go to vote. That kind of message, you know, kind of pervaded a little bit. And I wonder if it was just kind of a complacency, you know, like uh, after a while, you're like, OK, we've heard, you know, we could be in trouble. You know, it's like, ah, we don't need to vote for Hillary Clinton. We'll still be fine. It's like and then it turned out, well, no, you're getting Neil Gorsuch, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney <laughs> Barrett as a result yep. of, you know, those, you know, what, 50,000 people in Michigan not wanting to vote for Hillary Clinton and picking Jill Stein instead or whatever the heck they did. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it, like it, it takes just that little for everything to kind of switch around and, and, and look at like who these three are joining. Uh, Alito uh, and uh, Clarence Thomas were obviously on the court during that 2012 ruling against Arizona. Uh, and they were the dissenting opinion. You know, they, they mm-hmm. wrote about, you know, why they thought this was the wrong decision by the court. So they're getting three people to join them. You don't have to be a mathematician to realize that you add three to two, that's five. <laughs> Even if, you know, Judge, you know, Chief Justice Roberts, you know, sides with the others like he did previously, it's like mm-hmm. they now have the five votes. And so it's, it's hard not to look at this stuff in that perspective, because like when Gorsuch was first being added to the court, I remember talking and reporting on the idea that there were a lot of people in the pro-life movement in Texas who were itching to be the test case. They wanted to be test case on Roe versus Wade. Mississippi yep. beat us to the punch. Uh, and I think there's kind of this mentality now that like Texas wants to be in that mix. We want to be the people who kind of move it. And then what issue is it more of a Texas issue than Texas doing a border issue that would maybe cause the Supreme Court to kind of reassess all this? You know, Texas wants it. We're the only border state left with a Republican governor. You know, Arizona... Right. Uh, in California and New Mexico, obviously all have Democratic governors. We're the last ones left, you know, uh, with a Republican governor. So you can feel the need. If there's going to be a test case, they want it to be out of here and not one of those other states. Yeah. Well, in this debate over allowing police in Texas to deport undocumented people, at some point, the GOP wanted to cut off the discussion, right? Remember, this was the same uh, proposal. There are some changes to it. And in fact, the last proposal was not called unconstitutional by a Republican senator, but this one is. Um, But this is the same topic that caused one of the Democrats in the House to basically lose his mind at the Republicans and cuss them out on the House floor. We, of course, played that audio for you here on the show. That's when Armando Wally from Houston got so upset uh, with someone who is his friend, uh, a Republican representative uh, named Cody Harris from East Texas. But he said, look, you, you don't know what it's like to live in our skin. Um, That's what he was telling the white legislators. Um, And there was this past week um, an admonition from the speaker, Dade Phelan, to not secretly record people on the House floor or or to record people on the House floor and put it out on social media because that's what happened a couple of weeks ago and led to that viral moment. Well, as the Republicans this time around were moving to cut off the debate, Chairwoman Neave Criado, who you heard from before, she also said that Republicans simply can't defend their proposal. What courage do you have? Why are you elected if you can't even stand up here to defend a bill impacting millions of Texans? Why are we elected if you cannot even wait for hours because you're worried about your flight home? Why are we elected if you don't even have 
Los cojones para defender esta propuesta de ley. Wait, if they don't have what? Los cojones para defender esta propuesta de ley. Okay, you can look that up if you don't know what she was what she was talking about, Jeremy. Now, now, why would Republicans um, seem to her like they don't have cojones? Well, it's because this is all uncomfortable, right? Remember, when this was in the Senate, things got really heated between Senator Charles Perry, the Lubbock Republican who Dan Patrick gave the bill to after Birdwell said that it was unconstitutional, he wouldn't do it. So Perry and Senator Roland Gutierrez, a Democrat from San Antonio, they really mixed it up. Uh, Senator Gutierrez asked Senator Perry the straightforward question, and it's one that should always be asked whenever whenever any of these immigration enforcement proposals are made. Um, and it's simply this. How do the cops know, just by looking at somebody, whether they might be undocumented? That That's, I mean, this is uh, basic stuff when you're talking about enforcing immigration law. Perry couldn't really handle it. And listen to this. He asked the guy with the gavel, who was not Dan Patrick, it was uh, Charles Schwertner because Dan Patrick's out sick, and he may not even be back until after Thanksgiving. Perry's asking Charles Schwertner to basically gavel down Gutierrez, and he's saying, look, these questions don't even matter. It's not even, it's not even relevant to what we're talking about here. Take a listen. What's the reasonable suspicion for him? Because there is no precursor here. There is no something that says, oh, he was driving erratically. And then later I found out he was also a Mexican. So I want to know, I want to know what the elements are that allow a cop to determine. Senator Gutierrez, your, your question is indignant and doesn't even justify a response. It's not indignant. It sir. is. It is. And it is indignant to the police association and the people that wear that badge. Because for you to infer that someone's going to drive by a roofing contractor and look up there and say, there's brown people on the roof. By gosh, they must be illegal. I'm going to go arrest them is absurd and disrespectful and should not you be a conversation. Mr. President, sir. this is line of questioning is not relevant to the SB4. It absolutely is. It absolutely is not, because you're trying to interject a hypothetical that if it were to occur, and sadly it may have, those officers will be sued under the Civil Liberties Act. No, sir. Yes, you, sir, they will, because they have to show probable cause to have the conversation with the guy on the roof. Probable cause for what? That's my question. The question of the day is, if I'm roofing, did I commit a crime from a vision of a cop looking up? And the answer is, I don't think so. The question of of the very last thing he said, the question would be uh, whether you had probable cause if you saw if a cop saw someone doing roofing, um, as far as whether that created um, you know a thought in a cop's mind that they might be undocumented. He left out a couple of words. He what, what Perry said was, if the cop sees somebody roofing, would they just assume that they were undocumented? I'd have to add in a couple of words. If he saw, if the cops saw them roofing while brown, would he then think that they might be undocumented? That, that, I mean, if you, if you had, and, and Perry also said that it may have well happened before, right? He, he called it a hypothetical, but then said it probably has happened before that a cop would have thought the person was undocumented by seeing a brown person up on top of a roof in Dallas or Houston or Austin or San Antonio. And we know. Um, as folks who have studied this issue, that the people who are doing that kind of work are largely undocumented. People who are doing some of the toughest jobs, be it roofing, uh, be it uh, you know putting down the pavement for streets, fixing sidewalks, things like that. People doing agricultural work, hospitality work. If you see, if 
if a cop saw somebody who was Hispanic and speaking either Spanish or broken English, and they were the person who brings the water at the table at the restaurant, would it be reasonable for them to think that maybe that person's not documented? These are the kinds of questions. Now, you can think whatever, you know, dear listener, you can think whatever you want about that question, but that is the question when you're making a proposal to have the police in Texas round folks up and take them back to Mexico. Am I being unfair? No, uh, and add to the collision of public policy issues here. It's like, it's not just, this is where the issues about immigration collide with the fact that we can't hire enough police officers right now in this state. The bar has been lowered for the hiring of police officers and law enforcement all over the state. You you can just listen to the radio. Like I, when I was in Lubbock, uh, not to pick on Charles Perry's hometown, but when I was in Lubbock, the police department was advertising for people uh, who just have a high school diploma to come join the police force. Uh, it's like, it was just you know, on FM radio, like, you know, not on like some <laughs> AM station somewhere. It's like, it was just directed at just regular people listening to Pearl Jam, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, come right. on, join up with the police force, you know, it's like, and, but that's to the point where it's like, that means it's going to be a lot less training, uh, for some officers out there than we're mm-hmm. kind of used to. And so what you're putting in their hands of say like a constable somewhere down in South Texas uh, the ability, like if they pull somebody over and they suspect that person uh, is not in the country legally, I guess they can you know charge them. You know, it's like and kind of let the chips fall where they may. And it's just mm-hmm. and it, and again, you know, not to be too repetitive from you know previous shows, but you're still kind of left with this idea. It's like so if you think somebody is here illegally, but from Haiti. Is it your obligation then to take that person to the port of entry and tell them to re-enter Mexico illegally? It's like I, I'm I, I'm still stuck on this part. I think I wish mm-hmm. I could have uh, asked these questions of you know Senator Perry uh, or, or others involved in this legislation a little bit more carefully because I don't know what the answer is. How do you make somebody cross into another country without documentation? And against right. their will. It's like I'm not really understanding why Mexico would take a Venezuelan immigrant from Texas who doesn't have proper papers. Like why? It's like yeah, I, I just the, don't get that. Yeah, the Mexican government um, this week, as I mentioned, they, they rejected out of hand the idea that Texas can send people across the border, uh, to your point, Maybe not necessarily sending them back across the border because maybe they didn't come in that way, right? I mean, some do and some don't. Uh, some some ha- would have come from other places. Uh, but under this proposal, what Perry's talking about is taking people back to the international bridge or taking them to the bridge and saying, go back over there. And as you heard last week, the question really couldn't be answered by the Department of Public Safety as far as what would happen if Mexico said, no, 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 this person is not authorized to be in Mexico, in a way, and I saw a lot of you know chatter online where people would say, well, they shouldn't come across the river in the first place. To your point, maybe they didn't come across the river. But to Senator Birdwell's point, if someone illegally entered the country, is the answer really to have them illegally enter another country? That <laughs> did, yeah. Are we facilitating another crime? And that, that was pointed out last week during the questioning of Steve McGraw, the DPS director, who will be there, of course, uh, with a 
pre- former President Trump and uh, and Abbott because you got to get the gang all together if you're going to get together on the border. Um, McCraw couldn't answer that question as far as whether the state would be facilitating another unauthorized entry to a different country and what would happen if the person was sent to Mexico, Mexico said you can't be here and Mexico sent them back into the United States, would that person then be charged with another crime of re-entering uh, illegally? The, the one entry being a misdemeanor, the second entry being a felony. You see, this it, it builds on itself yep. and just doesn't make any sense on any level. Well, and I kept, I just keep thinking, imagine like uh, the police in Houston pull over a tourist from Norway who has overstayed their visa. Like, so what, what does this law do with them? It's just like, you know, cause an overstayed visa would well, be, you were no longer in this country legally. Right. Right. It's like, so are we going to take some Norwegians back to, you know, McAllen and tell them to go across the bridge? Yes. I don't know. Apparently. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm not sure what as, we're supposed to do with those people. It's like, as far it, as the cops read it. Yes. And, and, and I pick on Norway, but like, you know, let's, you know, you know uh, enlarge this a little bit. You know, we have a large Asian population in this state. You know, it's like, I, I'm going to guess there's a few people, you know, from Asian nations who, you know, may not have their paperwork squared away. Mm-hmm. It's like, so what happens to them? It's just like, you know, are you telling me there are no Chinese nationals who overstayed a visa? anywhere within the state of Texas? It's like, I think, you know, maybe again, but, but what do you do with them then under this law? It's like, you can't, are you going to take them to the airport and, and order them on a plane? I, I just wish like I understood better. And I think Senator Birdwell was kind of making this point, understand better what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, and, you know, from a constitutional standpoint, you know, there are solutions. And I get the idea, like there's a lot of people who, agree with the the concept that we have allowed too many people to come across the border. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the call for border security is all reasonable. But the question is, like, can you send somebody who's not from Mexico to Mexico? It's like, I don't, I don't understand the basic rationality of it. Look, it makes a lot of sense to a Fox News TV crowd who really wants mm-hmm. to go vote in the primary later, you know, in February, I get, or in March. Uh, I get that. You're speaking to them. You're not speaking to a logical legal system uh, when you're saying we're going to send a Haitian migrant back into Mexico where he does not live. I, again, just don't understand. Yeah, it's it's governing from a place of grievances only and not real solutions. I mean, and, you know, Birdwell's also said in his speech that it's the, and we played uh, part of it earlier in the show, where he's saying, look, that this is something that the federal government needs to address. And I think that there are Democrats and Republicans alike who would agree with that and say, look, we need to have real immig- immigration reform. And, I, you know, I, I know that there are business interests, immigrants' rights activists, and others who are very frustrated and feel that there's just this impasse in this country about immigration. But that would imply that nothing's being done about immigration. It there is there is something happening which is at the state level in Texas the the government is taking a an enforcement only approach which isn't working. I mean it's it's just not working. You know, you were just on the border, you were in uh, in the Big Bend as you mentioned. I mean, in places like 
Santa Elena, for example, I don't know if you were through there, um, but I know that there are some people who have said that there are people who are just there to enjoy the beauty of the surroundings in the Big Bend. It is gorgeous, but there are troopers there kind of messing with people on the river because that river is the Rio Grande. Now, when you're there, I know that around Presidio, on down that uh, on down that road, on down to uh, to the National State Park, or the, excuse me, the National Park and the State Park that are that are there. It's just gorgeous, and you 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 go through that area and you think, where does the wall go? You look around there and go, where would the wall actually go to do it? If if you folks think that you're going to keep people out of this area by putting up a wall, where would you put it? If people have never seen the pictures of that, they should look. Did you see any of those troopers there? By the way, in that area, uh, I did not. I saw you know certainly border patrol agents in you know parts of you know the park or just outside the park, but not actually within you know the, along the river. Uh, but, the, you know, but, but right now, because of how long the drought has persisted in Texas, that stretch of the Rio Grande is a trickle right now. And so yeah. to cross the border is literally, you know, two hops across like a mostly dry river bed, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's like you can go back and forth all you want there. And so it's like, you know, it, to your point, there's nothing you could do. There's, you're certainly not going to build a wall right there, no. right near Atlanta Canyon. Yeah, that's like, that's not happening. Well, uh, you know, and let me put it this way. And I think you'd agree with this. You were just there. If if somebody blindfolded you and marched you out to a certain area out there on either side of the river, and then they took the blindfold off, would you be able to tell for sure which country you were in? No, of course not. No. Right. No, it's, it's all the same. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all the same. I mean, if you were down there in those River Canyon areas and you look at one, you know, one side mountains or the other side, you know, where you got the, you know, the steep walls there, no one would know which side was which. And in a lot of ways, in some of those areas, it kind of takes care of itself. But think about this, $1.5 billion that's being appropriated right now by the Texas uh, legislature for 50, 50, not 500, 50 miles of wall. Have you ever, I haven't, have you ever seen a proposal for the spending of $1.5 billion that takes 20 seconds to explain to people. <laughs> that's what happened. That's what happened on the house floor this week. It's a, the, the guy who's supporting the bill in the house, JC Jaton from Fort Bend County. He said, okay, this is the bill that spends $1.5 billion to build a wall. How much wall is it? Uh, well, it's 50, 50 miles. And then of course, off to the side, I hear some Democrats and some Republican legislators, by the way, under their breath, kind of saying, wasn't Mexico supposed to pay for this? Was it, didn't Trump tell us Mexico was going to do this? And here we, we could spend that 1.5 billion on anything else, literally anything else. And it's going to be 50 miles and no one can even answer any real questions about it. Yeah. And you wonder if like, maybe they should just kind of wait to see how the election, you know, shakes out in 2024. Cause if Trump were to win the white house again, why not just have the federal government pay for that? You know, why are we spending $1.5 billion that the feds would, you know, do themselves? It's like, I'm, you know, there's a part where we're kind of like, you know, you know, just let the feds do it. And if the feds don't do it, let's not use our money, you know, necessarily. Like I get people frustrated, but, you know, uh, I'm all for putting more pressure on the federal government to react. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I get that. You know, it's like, I understand the politics of that. Make Joe Biden do more on the border. I get it. You know, but if like if if Republicans win the White House next, you know, literally next year at this time, then mm -hmm. we shouldn't spend a nickel. 
It's like, you know, we should make the you know federal government spend that money. You know, it's like, but let's remember, while Trump was in office, they did not build the wall. <laughs> they built right. some wall, but they certainly did not cover 1,254 miles of Texas border with a wall. It's like, despite having a Republican president in a Republican Congress, both House and Senate, they mm-hmm. did not do it. It's like, why are we doing their job? You know, it's like, at, at some point, we ha- I, I get a little parochial about my tax dollars. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, hey, it's like, I'd kind of like for it to help, like, you know, my foster care system in Texas, or maybe helping, you know, take care of, uh, you know, children here, or dealing with our, you know, you know maternal mortality you know, problems that we've had in the state. We have a lot of issues that we could use $1.5 billion for uh, that the federal government will pay for anyhow, eventually. Any Anything. There was a story just this week uh, that Texas did actually see progress on uh, providing insurance coverage uh, during the height of the pandemic restrictions because they were, you know, really pushing that people needed to be covered. Um, and we have, of course, seen the numbers slip once again. Uh, one advocate said that no state does a worse job at renewing Medicaid coverage for people than Texas, that we're the absolute worst ones. There are so many things that those resources could be used on that would be useful. Um, inst- instead of 50 miles of border wall, uh, really is just, uh, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. This is only, it's the same thing with the legislation to have the cops round people up and take them to the bridges. It's the same thing with building the border wall. It's all governing out of grievance. And a real solution on immigration and border security has to come from Washington where there's no appetite for working together on almost anything. This has been a miserable year for legislators in Austin. And I was trying, Jeremy, to think about how to talk to the average person about this who will say, you know what? They have a job to do. They need to go down there and and get their work done. Um, and that's right. I think that, that when you know when when the average Texan has that feeling that they're right about that. So how do you how do you kind of explain to people that if they're here and they're miserable, then they're actually not doing a good job for you? Because I think that they're not. I, I think at this point they're just not. It took seven months to pass a property tax um, bill, which everybody agreed needed to happen. Republicans and Democrats, the governor, lieutenant governor, the speaker. There was broad agreement that property taxes needed to be addressed. The governor, in many ways, was asleep at the wheel during that. Now here we are in November, and they're still legislating at the behest of Governor Abbott about the border, which we were just talking about, and about school vouchers, which will be up for a debate in the Texas House um, tomorrow on Friday. We're taking the unusual step of recording the show on Thursday because of the legislative schedule. We're even having, dear listener, I know you care about the show. We're even having to change the schedule for the show because of this nonsense schedule at the legislature. Okay, that's one way to explain it to to our folks. Um, but you know that during the 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 last special session, which just wrapped up days ago, that there was all this discussion about whether there were even enough lawmakers present in the House to even legally conduct business. There have to be 100 members of the House on the floor for them to have what's called a quorum so that they can legally, under the Constitution, debate things. But this has all been such a waste. Remember, every one of these legislative sessions, the extra ones, 
they cost you, the taxpayer, about a $1 million, which to the average person probably sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money, especially when you consider that they're wasting it. There was a completely wasted special session right after the regular session where they didn't pass anything or do anything. And then they had a second special session where they passed that property tax bill, right? So that's that's $2 million right there. Then you had a third special session where they didn't really do much. That's another, that's $3 million now. We're getting to enough money to be able to buy the verdict in an impeachment trial with how much money's been spent on special sessions around here. But did you know that during that last special session, I think that for most days, there weren't enough members on the floor to conduct business. It's just that nobody really cared. They weren't really paying attention. And then at some point, some Republicans started to get really agitated about the fact that there was no quorum in the Texas House. And I want you to hear this, Jeremy, and I want your thoughts. So they're calling themselves the fearsome foursome. It's four representatives, all Republican. Representative Steve Toth from Montgomery County. Representative Nate Schatzline from Tarrant County. Also from Tarrant County, you're going to hear Tony Tenderholt. And you're also going to hear from Ellis County, from Waxahachie, Brian Harrison. And they, they took a video of themselves on the House floor bitching about the fact that Republicans and Democrats alike were not showing up on days that the House is scheduled to be in session. Hey, guys. Get this. This is our third time that we could not make quorum in uh, this special session. We've got the fearsome foursome here. Um, This is really crazy. So 34 Democrats out of 64 didn't bother to show up. And of course, some Republicans as well. Sadly, there's a... There are, there are too many Republicans on this list that did not bother to show up for their constitutionally mandated job performance today when we still got border security bills to pass and education freedom. We've got important work for the people of Texas it's that we're impossible. not doing today. It's impossible to get these priorities done for our districts when people can't even show up to work when we're getting paid to show up here. But, but what about the fact that half or more of the Democrats didn't show up? That's very telling. That has to be coordinated. That's a coordinated effort. Democratic Representative Ramon Romero from Fort Worth said, it ain't no coordinated quorum break. He said, members of the House are tired and the agenda set by the governor is stupid and harmful. Who's at fault? Is it Democrats this time? Is there going to be another press conference from the Republican caucus saying that they can blame us because we're not allowing them to pass school vouchers? Is that what's going on here? No, who we should be blaming is Governor Abbott for calling us back to a, for another special session to pass an illegal, unconstitutional border bill, an immigration bill targeting people that are in our communities and trying to pass the voucher scam. Look, Governor Abbott, nobody wants to be here. We signed up for 140 days, volunteers basically, to serve the state of Texas. We're losing our businesses. People are losing their families. That's why people aren't here. And it is Republicans and Democrats alike who are miserable because they've been in session in Austin for so long. Matt Roy is a reporter at News 4 in San Antonio. He had this report. We are now in session, special session that is. For the first time in Texas's history, there have been four special sessions and a regular session called in the same year. You know, if we take up another 30 days, it'll be 120 additional days this year. I mean, we've almost been in session the entire year. I think it's incredibly taxing. It's an honor, it's a privilege. Uh, we, We knew what we were getting into, but 
But we, most people didn't expect that the governor would call you back so many times. In Texas, lawmakers aren't full-time employees. They make $600 a month for their term, and most of them have actual jobs in order to make ends meet. For people like Joe Moody, an attorney from El Paso, his long travels back over 260 days is difficult. You know, I've got three children under 10, but I mean, ultimately, you know, not being there, not being present. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I know it certainly takes a toll on my family. And here at home, Senator and Title Company's Vice President Jose Menendez says if it wasn't for living so close to Austin and having a forgiving employer, it would be almost impossible for me to do it and and see my family, take care of my my wife, who, whose health is not always the best, and um, you know, do the things that need to be done. Look, it can sound like these folks are just complaining, Jeremy. But I think it's worth saying that for someone like, for, for example, uh, State Senator Drew Springer, who just announced that he's retiring uh, after being in the Senate for a little while. He was in the Texas House before that. I think he was elected, I want to say back in 2012, maybe. He's been around for more than a decade. And at that time, you know, you're talking about back, back in the day when it was Rick Perry instead of Governor Abbott, um, the, the precedent really hadn't been set that the legislature is going to be here all the time. For more than 100 years, the Texas legislature has basically been a part-time position. In the report that you heard, um, it was said that they have other jobs to make ends meet. No, no, no. That's not, I mean, nothing wrong with the report, but that's not quite right. It's a citizen legislature that they have jobs and they also are legislators. It's not the other way around. It's not that they're legislators and they also have some job to, to pay their bills. It's that they are either attorneys, you know, auto dealers. They're, you know, they're policemen, firemen. Um, they have uh, doctors. They have all kinds of jobs that they do. With the idea being that people from different backgrounds will come together and deliberate on the laws that all of us have to live under. If it was going to be the case that people had a full time legislator, uh, full time legislature and these people had a full-time job in Austin like they have in Congress, then that should be the agreement up front, that they should be told that this is, go this is going to be all you do. You don't do anything else. In fact, to deal with conflicts of interest, maybe you would have to stop being a doctor, a lawyer, uh, you know, an auto dealer, whatever it is, that you'd have to stop being that and just be a legislator. And I don't think people around here want that. I haven't heard anybody crying out for that. Is that people saying that, oh, we want people who are just full-time politicians. It's always been a part-time thing. And so for somebody like Senator Springer, when, you know, when he first got elected, that's what it was. It was a part-time job. He would come to Austin, not just for five months every year, five months every two years is really what the, really what they sign up for. And they'll only be called back by the governor if there's some emergency something that just pops up that we didn't maybe see, or there's something that they couldn't get worked out and they need to work on that issue for a little bit extra, for a little bit extra. But every time there's something that's on the Republican wish list, this governor just calls a special session. In 2021, they were in session for whatever, nine or 10 months. Now we're going on 11 months of legislating in Austin. And you can see how productive it is, Jeremy, as you pointed out on a previous show, and this goes to why it matters to real people. If there are folks who really care about the border, the legislature wasted a whole month on that, right? They wasted 30 days because that because they had all these um, just nasty uh, personal fights between the lieutenant governor and the speaker of the house, calling each other desperate, um, wasting a million of your dollars uh, 
on a special session in which they in, in which a Republican legislature could not get a border security bill to a Republican governor. He had to call them back about that. If you have people who work for you, you would want them to be productive, and they're not being productive really at all. Yeah, and there's a man. As I because we just keep going through the same issues and ending up in the same results so many times, it's just, it's just starting to feel like, you know, we're, we're totally running in circles. I think that's kind of the issue that has hit, you know, a lot of these lawmakers. One thing, if, like, you have to be in session all year to kind of get something done. But what we're seeing is, like, over and over again, we're just doing, like, kind of the same routine. It's like, okay, so we're going to have all the same debate over the same school voucher legislation that is not going to pass. And then the governor's going to call us back and we're going to do it all over again. It's just like, it, it, like everybody involved in the process, not just the, you know, the senators and the house members, but their staffs who have to prepare all the documentation, you know, the people mm-hmm. who have to like get the bills together. Uh, you know, the, 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 the public, obviously like the, the people who, you know, are fighting up, on either side of this issue, it's like the same routine over and over again. And when you see the same result happening and time and time again, it's like, you know, shouldn't we know the answer to like this, the issues on school legislation at this point, even the border issues. It's like, it's just, it almost feels like the same thing over and over again. Didn't we just say we were putting more money to the border wall, you know, mm-hmm. six months ago? Well, yeah, yes. we did. Yes. And, like, and we're doing it mm-hmm. again. Because, you know, we're in a special session, so we should say something about that. Uh, and again, it's all the, it, 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 I, I guess I, I, the sympathy I have is for not so much just the legislators, but everybody else in the, the system who has to kind of go through this whole process and pretend like this is the, the time that is, it might pass. And then it just doesn't pass anyhow. So what did right. we accomplish? So we will be in the fourth, you know, special session, and going, including the regular session too. You have that, you know, five different times we've gone through this, this, you know, I guess saber rattling over vouchers and the border and right. property taxes. It's like, like you can see why the populace would start tuning this out after a while. Yeah, but you like you don't want to just keep getting to the edge, and then it it almost reminds me of the federal government, like oh look, there's another budget shutdown coming. It's like, at some point, nobody wants to hear you, you know, talk about the, the same issue over and over again. Just go away already. You already said you wanted this done. They have not passed vouchers. They're probably not going to pass vouchers, you know, this week either. Right. And mm-hmm. so, so and, but yet the governor says he can call them back. Again, maybe it's because I'm seeing Randy Rogers, you know, but like, this is like, I ought to know by now that this <laughs> yep. running in circles isn't getting us anywhere. <laughs> That's true. Um, and the governor has said he will call the, the legislature into session again and again and again until they do pass some version of school vouchers. But I would remind our listeners, who and our audience does include a lot of legislators, I would remind you of this. The governor said that you could only pass property tax reform in one way to have him sign it. But then they passed it a different way and he signed it anyway. And and that was after the standoff earlier in the year about that. Then the governor said that when he vetoed some legislation, that he would revive that legislation if a property tax bill did pass. Well, guess what? It did pass 
he didn't bring those bills back up. They're not on the agenda now. He also said that he was going to put uh, public school finance on the agenda for the session only if vouchers had already passed. But then he caved on that, and he did put public school finance on the agenda, even though vouchers haven't passed. Um, the governor also, years ago, I'm going to bring this up again, he also told Republican members of the legislature that if they would support his pre-kindergarten initiative back in 2015, that he would campaign for them in their primaries in 2016. They passed his bill, and then he was nowhere to be found. And here's what I heard from a longtime Republican operative just a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, with Abbott, it's gotten to the point where the members of the legislature don't fear him or love him either. And if you're going to be in charge, you have to be at least one of those things. If you, if you want to get things done, people have to fear that, you're, that there's going to be real retribution or they just have to love you such that they would want to do what it is you're asking. Yeah, it, it, it's that, and it's, you know, this is probably almost a good reason for term limits. <laughs> you know, it's like after eight years, you start just like irritating people. You know, it's like because they get used to your 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 thing, right? You know, you know, issues kind of pile up after a while. You know, one of my favorite interviews uh, was with the late Lawton Childs in Florida uh, before mm -hmm. he passed away, and I asked him, "It's like he uh, was at the end of his second term." Uh, and I asked him, it's like, is it sad to leave? He goes, nope. <laughs> he was really quick about it. And I'm like, why? It's just like, well, uh -uh. my friends are now against me and the people who didn't like me before like me even less. <laughs> right. This is a good time to leave. <laughs> it's like, and so you can see like after, you know, Abbott will be approaching 12 years here, uh, mm -hmm. as governor. And then you have all that time as attorney general. That's like a lot of history. Uh, that a lot of people might start tuning out after a while or start, you know, being a little less fearful uh, of potential repercussions or whatever. So they know your limitations at that point. So it's like, yeah, it's like you can see that, you know, yeah, call them back in a special session during primary season when they're trying to run for a reelection. Mm -hmm. You know, see how well that goes. You know, it's like, I, I think I think people are going to be you know, even more irritated with you. I, I'm not sure if that will help get anything passed but it'll allow the you know governor to look like he was tough you know it's like and there's an image part of this thing that like sometimes i don't pay enough attention to uh but ron DeSantis kind of made life miserable on a lot of people in florida and it got him to be a challenger for the presidential nomination mm -hmm. uh so it may not be necessarily you know the worst strategy that you know who cares if you tick off you know, 150 House members regularly. Well, uh, let me let me give you let me give you um, an analogy because it's important what you're saying, especially in Republican politics. It is crucial that you look tough, right? It, it just, I mean, you have to be the toughest, uh, toughest, toughest one. You got to be the big dog on the block. Trump sure sounded. I'm gonna take the you know compare it right to what's happening with vouchers. You have Abbott sounding tough, even though the thing's not happening even though he's not getting his proposal. Trump sure sounded tough when he was talking about building a wall that isn't there, right? I mean, they, we have not much more wall than, than when he came in. They built some, but now he's talking about how he needs to build more if he's, you know, if he's elected next year. He sounds so tough, but he didn't actually do the thing. He didn't actually get the thing done. But guess what? His, his the, vote, the people who support him, they think he's the best thing in the history of the world because he sounds so tough.
you can point out to those same people, he didn't build any of that wall. And Mexico did not pay for any of the wall that is there. <laughs> um, that None of that matters. He sounded tough. And I remember years ago when Lieutenant Governor Patrick was running for his current office against David Dewhurst, the former Lieutenant Governor, I was at a debate in Kerrville. It was the Kerrville, I think it was the Kerrville Republican Women's Club, the great group. And man, Patrick just sounded so tough. And there was a there was a voter in the crowd who was wearing a Ted Cruz shirt. And I pointed out to that voter, this person was saying, man, Patrick is great. He's awesome. I love the way he's going right after the lieutenant governor. And I pointed out to the guy in the Ted Cruz shirt, I said, well, you know that Patrick doesn't like Cruz. That, you know, when that when Cruz and Dewhurst were running against each other, that Patrick had been very critical of Ted Cruz. And the person that's told me everything I need to know about the mindset of a GOP voter at the time, he said, well, I don't care if he was for my guy or not. He's tough. He, you know, he, he's hard on these guys, whoever it is. So things are tough in Washington, too. And I saw where Chip Roy was just yelling. <laughs> and Jeremy, was he all by himself? in the house of representatives when he was screaming, there were nobody, there was nobody else there in the, you know, in the chamber. Yeah. Yeah. It here, didn't look like, yeah. Here's the thing that the, uh, the way U S house works is that, you know, oftentimes like when, you know, debates are over, they have what they call special order speeches or yeah. they'll have like, you know, so there'll be nobody in the chamber and, but you'll pretend that the place is filled. <laughs> and so like, if you're ever in the gallery, sometimes you'll see like, you know, one person in the entire chamber, you have one member who has Screaming. to be like the, you know, the fill in speaker of the house. It could be like the most junior member <laughs> you've ever seen who right. just has to sit there and hold the gavel while you go on for an hour. <laughs> in this case, like, I believe, you know, I, I listened to about 45 minutes of Chip Roy's mm -hmm. full speech. I think there was more to it, uh, <laughs> but he was yeah. there mostly by himself, just giving a speech. Well, he was giving this speech, and I saw where a reporter in Washington or a columnist in Washington, this guy, Eric Michael Garcia, was uh, on Twitter. He was updating uh, his his followers about the Chip Roy speech where he's yelling. And let me read some of the tweets to you. He tweeted, update, Chip Roy is still yelling. <laughs> and then one hour later, <laughs> he's, he says, Chip Roy is still yelling. And he says, and then the next update is breaking. Chip Roy is still yelling on the floor. The next update that was about 20 minutes after that said, I walked over from the Senate to the House and Chip Roy is still yelling. And then he says... <laughs> I should note that no other members are on the floor except one other person, as you pointed out, Jeremy. Uh, there's only one other person on the floor while Chip Roy is still yelling on the floor of the House. Then this guy tweets out, uh, he says, some personal news, Chip Roy is still yelling. And then, <laughs> then he says, final update, it says, Chip Roy is done yelling. And the House is out until the end of November after uh, being in for 10 weeks. Roy was very upset about the current spending deal in Washington. And he was saying that it's no different from what got uh, the deal that got Kevin McCarthy kicked out as speaker previously. And he's very frustrated with his own party. Listen to Roy yelling and saying to his Republican colleagues, why don't y'all just give us any victories that we can go back home and campaign on? One thing 
I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. Now later, when he was not yelling, Roy told reporters that the spending package is still the same thing that Democrats were doing a year ago when they were in the majority. The Pelosi spending level, the Pelosi spending policies and, and priorities. And that's what this is doing. We have Republicans who violently opposed that bill a year ago in the omnibus bill last December, who are now trying to say that we need to continue that. There are those who are screaming, like Roy, all by himself in the chamber and inviting people who are not even members of the Congress uh, to come down uh, to the microphone and explain any Republican victories. Uh, but it does seem, Jeremy, that through their votes, at least, there is some acknowledgement by the Republican majority that they have to govern. And they can't just keep protesting all the time. I mean, you saw what happened earlier this year when McCarthy was first elected speaker and he had to make all those concessions to the right wing of the party. Then that blew up in his face. And the things that he agreed to is exactly what played out when, when he got you know booted as speaker. Um, and then this next guy comes in, Mike Johnson, as speaker from Shreveport, Louisiana. And he's a you know, rock rib conservative as far as his record, his voting record and the things that he has said. He's taken what a lot of people would say are extreme positions on on various things, um, you know, an election denier and, and all of that. Um, but the package that he put together and got you know Democrats and Republicans to vote for, because it is similar to what was passed previously when some in the right wing were so upset about it, uh, it is an acknowledgement that that they do have to govern. They can't just keep... As you pointed out earlier, they can't just keep acting like everything is uh, is a sky falling moment. You know, people people are tuning it out. I mean, it's some you can only do it so much, and I think that's what ended up being the the real downfall of McCarthy was that you know when you have those in your party who are pushing for things that are completely unreasonable, and you're trying to you know make concessions to those folks. Um, there's one point during the year when people took it seriously that the government may shut down. As you reported on the show, oh, yeah, it looks like that actually could happen. Remember, I was saying, oh, probably not, because every time they say this, they work it out and it, it never happens. But you can't have that keep happening every six weeks. People are either going to not take it seriously or you're going to cause something that's cataclysmic for the economy and you can't do that. So I would say to Speaker Johnson, Welcome to being the establishment. Now you're having to work with Democrats to make this stuff happen because you're in a leadership position. When you're on the sidelines, when you're not in leadership, when you're, you know, Chip Roy, you can scream all day and be pissed all day. But when you actually have responsibility for how things are operating, you have to behave in a little bit more reasonable way. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it should be noted that Chip Roy was trying to, you know, have a different strategic approach. He wanted them to, you know, pass, you know, if they were going to do a continuing resolution or some temporary spending package to keep the government operating, he wanted to throw at them, at, to the Senate Democrats at least, uh, at least some sort of additional border spending, uh, just something that they could use to claim victory, that they got something out of it. Uh, and and if people remember, like he was almost, I, I wouldn't say rooting for a shutdown, but he was willing to go through a shutdown to kind of force maybe more concessions in some way. I'm not sure if that would have worked. Uh, there's no evidence. And, and clearly, you know, guys like Johnson and, and others 
uh, in the Republican caucus were like, hey, look, we don't want to get to the point where soldiers aren't getting their paychecks. You know, it's like so I can see what they're doing. But like, again, you can see the frustration of guys like Chip Roy who want to prove that, you know, that firebrand, we're going to change Washington. We have something to kind of show for it. He's kind of on the mark. It's like when you come back home and you're campaigning, uh, you know, again, this is the basically the beginning of primary season for us, you know, mm-hmm. for all those members of Congress, you know, in Texas, you have to start saying, so what did y'all do? It's like, in, like you know, Roy kind of laid it out. It's not a lot to kind of look at. We passed a border bill that the Senate ignored. Yeah, uh-huh. we passed a continuing resolution of the budget that has pretty much all the same stuff in it and, you know, a little reduced spending, but good luck finding it. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, so now what do you say? Why should we reelect you again? Like, oh, well, um, because we axed our speaker. <laughs> and we went through a whole host of other potential speakers before we ended up with this guy who we're now upset with, who will probably have a miserable January when we get to the next, you know, battle over this thing. You know, why, you know, again, strategically, the U.S. House decided that look, the government's going to stay open and we're just going to go through this whole thing again in January. It's like, yeah. we're just going to keep doing this every couple of months to have these fights. And what's strange is like, it looks like Biden keeps winning these fights. It's like, the, like if you think Biden's a dawdling old man, <laughs> it's like, how the heck is he he's still keeping the government operating mm-hmm. with this kind of a conflict? With all that going on. Yeah. yeah. It's like, somehow it's still like, it's like, it's, it, it almost undercuts the message Republicans want to make yeah. that Biden well, can't, you know, run this government effectively. It's like, well, the Republicans in the in the U.S. House can't even stick together long enough on one policy position to kind of force the Senate to their side on anything. You know, they just don't have the votes to do it. So, right. I mean, what to talk about squandering the majority um, and to, to spend the entire year fighting with each other to the point that. Chip Roy, and maybe I'm sure some other Republicans would agree with him, to the point where he's screaming on the House floor, we haven't done anything. Yeah. It, all, it, all year, right? So what he's right about is terrible for Republicans. But they, what he's right about is that they can't go back and say, we did all these things, that we did anything that makes a difference to anybody. We fought with each other, mostly about personalities, by the way. You know, when they were going back and forth about McCarthy, they ended up with Johnson. Um, a lot of that that would not matter to people at all. And I think this is kind of a theme of the end of the show here, which is you have Republicans and Democrats fighting in Austin over things that aren't going to actually matter in your day-to-day life much at all, right? A lot of this is academic exercise stuff. As you said, the voucher thing, probably not going to pass. That actually would have sweeping change uh, implications for, or sweeping implications for for the way education is done in Texas, but probably not going to happen. The border stuff, so performative. And a big, I would say, a big waste of your money, especially $1.5 billion for 50 miles of wall. Um, what are they really doing that they can go brag about? The thing that they can go brag about, they already did earlier in the year, which is they offered some property tax relief to people. They could have called it quits then and to quit while you're ahead. Things are good. You did that. And by the way, you also did a bunch of stuff on the border, including spending billions of dollars. You don't need to spend more. And up in Congress, fighting over personalities, Everybody angry at everybody else, and some of the most conservative members literally screaming that we didn't do anything. 
Yeah, and, and and talk about ex, an exclamation point on that Randy Rogers song about running around in circles. Like my goodness, it's like you know, like the the Republicans in the U.S. House certainly feel like that's all they've done all year. It's like it's like is it any different from January you know first you know to to now? Like I, I'm not sure. No, I, I I I think I agree with Chip Roy. Like what the heck have we just done for eleven months? It's like I just not, no. I'm just not sure what this whole thing was about at this point. If we're ag- agreeing with Chip Roy around here, that's enough show. I think <laughs> I'm I'm done. I can't I can't take it anymore. Um, no, great show, great show. Evan, get everything together, send it off to the podcast Hall of Fame where it belongs. Uh, next week, of course, is is there a such thing the podcast Hall of Fame? I don't know. People have been doing this stuff for a little while. Next week, of course, is Thanksgiving, so. No show. Everybody take the take take that week off as far as a podcast. You'll want to follow along as the school voucher debate uh, plays out. Uh, follow our Twitter pages. I'm at Scott Braddock. He's Jeremy S. Wallace. Uh, you'll want to check out our coverage at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, expressnews.com down in San Antonio. Jeremy's newsletter comes out every evening around 536 o'clock, something like that. So you want to sign up uh, for that. The, the link to sign up is on his Twitter page, which I mentioned jeremy s wallace just go there it's the thing that's right at the top and we will see you after this next holiday Mm -hmm.